Well, after being gone a week, I appreciate the warm reception today, pun intended. Rick has assured me that this is probably the coolest spot in the sanctuary with the fans and the two vents here. At any rate, it is a real joy to be back, and it is a real joy to invite you once again to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study of the Christian spiritual warfare, part 11, with a particular emphasis today on a call to prayerfulness in verse 18. This morning I want to read our text beginning in verse 10. I want to read down through verse 20, so follow along as I read from the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The Bible is a very large book that addresses many important themes. But one particular theme that the Bible addresses over and over, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and everywhere in between, is the subject of prayer. If you are a student of the Bible, you will know this to be true. It matters not what genre of the Bible you read, be it the law, the prophets, and the writings of the Old Testament, be it the Gospels and the Epistles of the New Testament, along with Acts and the Revelation, The subject of prayer is repeatedly addressed on the pages of Holy Scripture. And the importance that the Bible places upon prayer cannot be overstated. Many great saints of God throughout the history of the church have recognized this and have written very eloquently on the great importance of prayer. Let me give you just a few examples Martin Luther said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. E.M. Bounds said, the prime need of the church is not men of money nor men of brains, but men of prayer. And one of my favorite quotes on prayer is by John Bunyan, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. 
Prayer is so vital to the people of God that Charles Spurgeon said, quote, Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. There is a locust which devours the strength of the church, and it is the neglect of prayer, so says Spurgeon. The Lord Jesus Christ gave indication to the importance of prayer when he said in the temple or of the temple in Matthew 21, 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And Luke gives further indication to the importance of prayer among the people of God as he records the activity of the early church. In Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer was one of the common activities of the early church. But the one human writer of Scripture who gives more attention to the subject of prayer than anyone else is the Apostle Paul. In all 13 of his New Testament letters, Paul addresses the subject of prayer. Whether he gives instruction on prayer, whether he prays for others, or whether he makes requests for prayer for himself. And among the Pauline epistles of the New Testament, the one book wherein he addresses prayer most often is his letter to the Ephesians. The book of Ephesians could rightly be called an epistle of prayer. In total, Ephesians has 155 verses, and out of those 155 verses, 32 of those verses are devoted to prayer. In chapter 1, Paul begins his body, the body of this letter, with prayer. That is, with the doxology of praise to God for our great salvation in Christ. He does that in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. He then immediately follows this in chapter 1 by praying for the Ephesian church in verses 15 through 23. And so, with the exception of the first two verses in chapter 1, the entirety of chapter 1 of Ephesians is a prayer by Paul. It is praise and then it is intercession. Then in chapter 3, Paul does something that he does not do in any of his other letters. He prays a second time for the church in the same letter. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And now, as we are in chapter 6, Paul once again addresses the great theme of prayer in verses 18 through 20, in which he does two things. First, he gives instruction on prayer in verse 18, and second, he makes request for prayer in verses 19 through 20. So, beloved, the book of Ephesians is bracketed with prayer. It begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. I love what John MacArthur says, Ephesians begins by lifting us up to the heavenlies and ends by pulling us down to our knees. What a great statement. As we come to this climactic point of the epistle, we are brought to our knees. As Paul brings this letter to a close by addressing prayer, We must keep in mind that he does so in the context of spiritual warfare. So let me say it this way. The book of Ephesians begins in the heavenlies, and it ends on the battlefield. And it ends on the battlefield with the Christian soldier on his knees. So when you think about prayer in this text, 
you must think about it in terms of spiritual warfare. This is warfare prayer, beloved. Warfare prayer. So please understand that as you come to verse 18, Paul is not moving away from the great theme of spiritual warfare. He is rather continuing his discussion of the great theme of spiritual warfare in verses 18 through 20. But the connection between verses 10 through 17 and 18 through 20 is obscured by some of the English translations. Let me explain. In my New American Standard Translation of the Bible, when you come to verse 18, the number 18 is in bold print. That indicates a new paragraph. That is obscuring the connection here between verse 17 and 18. Further, there is no verb in verse 18. Instead, there are two participles in verse 18. The first is praying. That's the first participle. The second participle is being on the alert. But in most English translations, they translate those two participles as verbs, as imperative verbs, as the New American Standard does. It translates these two participles as pray and be on the alert, again, in the imperative form. Now, what's important to understand about all of this technical information is that these two participles in verse 18 are grammatically connected back to the main verb in verse 14, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm is a command. It is a verb. It is an imperative. And the first way that Paul says that we are to stand firm is by taking up the full armor of God, which he outlines in verses 14 through 17. But that is not the only way that the Christian soldier is to stand firm in spiritual combat. The two participles in verse 18 further explain how we are to stand firm, that is, through prayer. We are to stand firm by putting on the full armor of God, and then we are, in addition to that, to stand firm through prayer. So listen, beloved, if you are going to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, if you are going to resist him in the evil day, you must pray. It is imperative that you pray. You must pray. A prayerless Christian, listen, will not be able to stand. A prayerless Christian will fall. He will fall. Now, as we have said before, this text in Ephesians 6 is divided into three major parts. In verses 10 through 13, we have the first major part, the believer's warfare, with an emphasis on a call to arms. The second major part is in verses 14 through 17. We have called it in our outline, the believer's armor, with an emphasis on our complete armor. And then the third part, which we are beginning today, is in verses 18 through 20. It is the believer's lifeline. There is an emphasis here on a call to prayerfulness. So, beloved, in this text, Paul presents prayer with a warfare paradigm. A warfare paradigm. Again, you need to think of prayer in this text in terms of of warfare prayer. Your standing firm in spiritual warfare is vitally connected to your prayer life. Listen to Peter O'Brien. 
who says it this way, the apostle wants them to realize that a life of dependence on God in prayer is essential if they are to engage successfully in their warfare with the powers of darkness. That's a great statement. R.C. Sproul says it a little differently, very powerful statement by Sproul. Just as a soldier on the battle line has to keep in constant communication with his general headquarters and his commanding officer, so the Christian who is on the battle line must be in constant communication with his Lord. Clinton Arnold, another commentator on Ephesians, says it's similar to Sproul. He says, prayer is communication with the commander-in-chief during the battle. Our awareness of the battle heightens our sense of need to stay in constant touch with our superior officer who can resupply us and provide us with our orders, end quote. In other words, prayer is our lifeline to God while we are on the battlefield. It is our lifeline for the believer while we are on the battlefield. You can think of prayer in this way. Prayer is our wartime walkie-talkie with God. It is how we commune with God on the battlefield. We thwart the devil's schemes, beloved, on our knees. Now let me say this, prayer is not specifically identified by Paul as a piece of armor. It is not a seventh piece of the armor of God. What is more, Paul gives greater attention to prayer than any of the six pieces of the armor of God. He devotes three verses to prayer and only four verses to all six of the pieces of the armor of God. And that is because prayer is larger than any single piece of the armor of God. Prayer is to pervade the entirety of your spiritual warfare, including all of the pieces of armor of God that you are to put on and to take up. As the hymn Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus says, Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer, where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. So we are to put on the full armor of God, each piece we do so in a spirit of dependence upon God with prayer. Now in this final major portion of the text, Roman numeral 3 on our outline, there are two main parts, and you can find this on your notes page in the bulletin. Letters A and letters B are the two main parts of this final portion of Ephesians 6. We have letter A, the apostolic instruction on prayer in verse 18, and that is followed by the apostolic request for prayer in verses 19 through 20. With our time this morning, we are going to look at verse 18, and Lord willing, next time we will look at verses 19 and 20. So let's begin to look at letter A in our outline, the apostolic instruction on prayer in verse 18. I want you to notice something about 18, verse 18. Do you notice a repetition in the verse? If you look at the verse, even a casual look at the verse, you will notice that Paul uses the word all four times. With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition, and then for all the saints. William Hendrickson calls this the four alls of prayer. So what we have here in just this one verse is a vast and far-reaching treatment on the subject of prayer. 
In fact, it is no exaggeration to say that in this one verse, it is the most densely packed verse in the entire Bible on prayer. There is more here in this one verse on prayer than in any other verse in the Bible. And so with an economy of words, Paul gives us a lifetime of instruction on the theme of prayer. In fact, he gives us five fundamental principles of prayer, again, which are listed for you on your bulletin. There is the variety of prayer, the frequency of prayer, the power of prayer, the persistence of prayer, and the objects of prayer. And so let's begin to consider the first fundamental principle of prayer, the variety of prayer. And this principle answers the question, what are we to pray? What are we to pray? Verse 18, with all prayer and petition. You will notice that Paul begins verse 18 with two terms, two, two, two different terms for prayer, prayer and petition. The first word is the general term for prayer in the New Testament. It simply means to speak with God, to ask of God. And it is often used in the sense of making petition to God in behalf of others. The second word is a bit more precise, petition. It means to entreat God, to make request of God. And the idea seems to be that Paul is combining these two terms together to emphatically underscore the importance of prayer in the believer's life in spiritual warfare. And so when Paul uses these two terms together, he adds a sense of intensity or urgency. And again, you will notice that he uses the term all, with all prayer and petition. And so again, Paul is emphasizing the importance of prayer in spiritual warfare by the Christian soldier by affirming that all kinds of prayer are needed on the battlefield. So what kinds of prayer are there? When Paul says, with all prayer and petition, I believe that is the sense of the statement. It is with all kinds of prayer, with all kinds of petition. So what kinds of prayer do we find in the word of God? Well, a helpful acronym is the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS. A stands for adoration. That is one aspect of prayer. In fact, that is one of the highest aspects of prayer. When we pray, one of the things that we do in that act of prayer is to adore God, to delight in God, to enjoy God, to praise God. Another aspect of prayer, letter C in this acronym, is confession, another vital component of prayer. One of the things that we must do on a daily basis in prayer with God is confess our sins. This is 1 John 1.9. This is Psalm 51. This is Psalm 32, the penitential psalms. This is something that we must do to maintain healthy fellowship with God. We adore God. We confess our sins to God. And then T in the outline stands for thanksgiving. Another vital aspect of our prayer life is that we engage in thanking God for who he is and for what he does. We are to thank God for all things. 
And then the S in the acronym stands for supplication in prayer. Another vital component of that time is that we spend time asking God for things, whether for ourselves or in behalf of other people. So we adore God. We confess our sins to God. We give thanks to God and we supplicate God. These are the biblical examples of all kinds of prayer and all kinds of petition. So what are we to pray, beloved? We are to pray with all kinds of prayer and with all kinds of petition. That brings us to the second fundamental principle of prayer in our text, the frequency of prayer. This principle answers the question, how often are we to pray? What does Paul say? Pray or praying, remember this is a participle, praying at all times. Praying at all times. Now that can be misunderstood. What Paul is not saying is that we are to do nothing in life but pray. He is not saying that you are to join a monastery, become a monk, and do nothing but engage in the act of prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and do nothing else. That is not what Paul did. That is not what the Lord Jesus Christ himself did. And so what Paul means here when he says praying at all times is that he means this, that we are to pray in a consistent manner. We are to pray in a consistent manner, night and day, as Paul says elsewhere. Without ceasing, as Paul says elsewhere. It is to be a consistent part of our lives. We are to live a praying life. We are to be a praying people. Prayer is to have a major place in the life of the Christian. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you are to be engaged in prayer because wherever you go and whatever you do, you are on the battlefield. You are always engaged in spiritual warfare. In Philippians 6, Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication. In everything that you do. John Blanchard says the place for prayer is everywhere. It's everywhere. When you go to work, you pray. When you go to the store, you pray. When you go to the gym, you pray. When you do anything, you pray. Why? Because you are ever and always at war. Because there are continual dangers to your soul lurking from within your own heart and from without in the Satan-controlled world system. And so you must develop a sense of dependency upon God for all things. And you must shun self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of the soul. It is the enemy to the Christian. It is the enemy of prayer. To prayer is to live a life of dependence upon God. To not pray is to live a life of dependence upon self, dependence upon the flesh. You can say it this way, to not pray is practical atheism. It is to live as if God did not exist or as if you did not need God. To put it another way, as a soldier on the battlefield, you are never to turn off your wartime walkie-talkie. You are to live with a constant open line of communication with God. 
because you are always in need of the strength of God. Another good quote from MacArthur on this, he says, quote, to obey this exhortation means that when we are tempted, we hold the temptation before God and ask for his help. When we experience something good and beautiful, we immediately thank the Lord for it. When we see evil around us, we pray that God will make it right and be willing to be used of him to that end. When we meet someone who does not know Christ, we pray for God to draw that person to himself and to use us to be a faithful witness. When we encounter trouble, we turn to God as our deliverer. In other words, our life becomes a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communing with our Heavenly Father. I love that last line, a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communing with our Heavenly Father. Is your life like that? When you encounter trouble, do you turn immediately to God? Is your life a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communing with our Heavenly Father? I love what John Bunyan says about prayer. He has much to say that is wonderful about prayer. He says, pray often, for prayer is a shield of the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. A scourge for Satan. So how often do we pray? According to this text, we are to pray at all times as a way of life. It is the lifestyle of the Christian to pray. Well, the third fundamental principle of prayer is the power of prayer. And this principle answers the question, how are we to pray? And it's found in that little section of verse 18, in the Spirit. How are we to pray? We are to pray in the Spirit. That is, in the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean praying in tongues. There is nothing in this text to suggest that that's what Paul means. Further, tongues, as I understand the Bible, is not a prayer language, as many suggest. And further, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that not all Christians, even in the apostolic age, had the gift of tongues. So most Christians will never speak in tongues, according to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29. But all Christians are to pray in the Spirit, that is, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to pray to the Father through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who guides our prayers, who shapes our prayers, who directs our prayers, who empowers us to pray. In other words, we are not to pray in the flesh, which is a very real possibility, because I've done it. To pray in the power of your own flesh is a terrible thing. And so we are not to pray in the flesh, but we rather are to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the best ways, beloved, that we can do this is to pray the Scripture. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scripture. If you are going to pray in the power of the Spirit, there is no better way to do that than to pray the Word of God. And what I mean by this is not just taking the prayers of the Bible and praying them, but rather it is taking all of the Bible, 
all of the parts of the Bible, reading those parts of the Bible, and then using that as fuel for your prayer life. Taking the words that have been inspired by the Spirit of God, reading them on the page of of the Word of God, and then using that as kindling for your prayer life. And so what do I pray? We'll go to Psalm 1, which Rick preached last week, and read through Psalm 1, and the Holy Spirit will give you kindling and content for prayer. So let the Bible itself, the Holy Spirit-inspired Bible, form the content of your prayers. That is part of what it means to pray in the power of the Spirit. Read the Bible and pray it back to God. Read a text of Scripture. Ask, what can I adore God for here? What sins can I confess? What can I thank God for? What can I supplicate God for as I read this text? So it is to pray the Bible. It is a revolutionary way of praying. Martin Luther wrote a little book on prayer entitled A Simple Way to Pray. Teresa and I have talked about this. And he dedicated it to his barber, Peter, Peter the barber. And listen to what he wrote to Peter the barber. First, when I feel that I have become cold and disinterested in prayer because of various tasks or thoughts for the flesh and the devil always impede and obstruct prayer, I take my little book of Psalms. I say quietly to myself the Ten Commandments, some words of Christ or Paul, or some psalms, just as children do. And he would take those portions of the Bible, whether it was the psalms, the Ten Commandments, the Gospels, the Pauline epistles, and he would use that to be the content of his prayer. He would pray the Bible. And so how are we to pray, beloved, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of the flesh? That brings us to a fourth principle, fundamental principle of prayer, the persistence of prayer. And this principle answers the question, how long are we to pray? How long are we to pray? Paul says, and with this in view, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition. Listen, it is possible for the Christian soldier to pray with all kinds of prayer, to pray at all times and to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, but to grow weary in prayer and to even stop praying. That's possible. It's very possible. Prayer is work. In Colossians 4, Paul describes prayer as labor, It is something that requires an immense amount of energy. It is a spiritual discipline that can be difficult to maintain. Prayer is not easy, especially in our entertainment-oriented society because there is nothing entertaining about prayer. It requires the whole heart which is very difficult for people like us who are easily distracted. I love this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's being very candid. He says, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was a man of prayer. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. It is easier to read the Bible. It is easier to do this and to do that than it is to pray because we are easily distracted, because we are weak. Martin Luther had a very high view of prayer, as we've already seen. 
But Luther also struggled with prayer in a big way. Luther was kidnapped by his friends. This was a friendly kidnapping. This was when the Pope had put a target on his back and it was legal to kill Luther because he was an enemy of the church. And so his friends kidnapped him and took him away to the Wartburg Castle for his protection. And it was while Luther was at the Wartburg Castle that he translated the Bible into German. But it was also at the Wartburg Castle that he struggled immensely. Sometimes we have a a romanticized view of Luther, including that time of translating the Bible into German, but that is not reality. On July 13, 1521, he wrote a very candid letter to his close friend and colleague, Philip Melanchthon, in which he said this, and listen very carefully to what Luther says about himself. I sit here at ease, hardened and unfeeling. Alas, praying little, grieving little for the church of God, burning rather in the fierce fires of my untamed flesh. It comes to this. I should be a fire in the spirit. In reality, I am a fire in the flesh with laziness, lust, idleness, and sleepiness. It is perhaps because you have all ceased praying for me that God has turned away from me. For the last eight days, listen to this, I have written nothing, nor prayed, nor studied, partly from self-indulgence, partly from another vexatious handicap. I cannot really stand it any longer. Pray for me. I beg you, for in my seclusion here, I am submerged in my sins. That's the great Protestant reformer. For eight days, no writing, no praying, no seeking God, submerged in his sins. I love his honesty. I love his candor. Because if we were honest, we could probably write a letter in which we would say the same thing about ourselves. Maybe you've gone longer than eight days without seeking God, without prayer. So, beloved, what is necessary in prayer is that we do what Paul says, namely, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. To be on the alert is warfare language. It is the picture of a soldier who is on the lookout for the enemy. And as he is on the lookout for the enemy, he must remain alert, no sleeping, no naps. He must remain wide-eyed and alert. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? Watch and pray. Why? So that you do not enter into temptation. And what did those men do? They fell asleep. And what happened after they fell asleep? They fell into temptation and they all defected from the Lord Jesus Christ. They failed to watch. They failed to pray. They failed to be persistent in their prayer life. They failed to persevere in prayer. They failed as watchmen. Paul says that we are to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. That is to say that we are to live our lives in a constant state of alertness. 
We are to always be on guard because we face an enemy that never sleeps. Did you know this about the devil, that he never takes a vacation? That he never takes a day off? That he never goes away? That he never takes a nap? That the demons never stop from their evil devices and their schemes against the church of God? And therefore, it is absolutely essential that we remain on the alert in prayer with all perseverance and petition. We are to fight for prayer. We are to be dogged in prayer. We are to overcome our spiritual fatigue, even our physical fatigue, our discouragement, our complacency. We are not to give up on prayer. We are not to quit. We are to be a prayer warrior. I think is appropriate in the language of Paul here, and view anything that hinders you from prayer as your enemy. Anything that hinders your prayer life is to be viewed by you as an enemy. So how long are we to pray? We are to persistently pray as long as we live in this world with all perseverance. And now finally, we come to the fifth fundamental principle of prayer, the objects of prayer. And this principle answers the question, for whom are we to pray? Paul answers this question in the last statement, for all the saints. Now just look at that again, for all the saints. This is who we are to pray for. Now if you're like me, you read that and you think, now wait a minute, is there a typo? Or is there some sort of a textual variant? Does this text really have the word all? Did Paul really mean all when he wrote this? Or did he mean for the saints? There is no typo. There is no textual variant. Paul wrote, those for whom we are to pray are for all the saints. This makes prayer get larger and larger, doesn't it? We could be at this a long time. This could be a really long prayer if you're going to pray for all the saints. Why does Paul say all the saints? Why does he use all again here? This is not something that Paul is haphazard with. It is very intentional. It is by the inspiration of the Spirit that we are to pray for all the saints. We are to pray for all the saints, beloved, because all the saints are involved in the same spiritual conflict that you are involved in. And all of the saints of God are your fellow soldiers. And so as you look around this room at other regenerated people, look at that person as a fellow soldier. A fellow brother or sister in Christ who is fighting on the same battlefield as you. And so in the church, there is this camaraderie, there is this fellowship, there is this bond that we share together that is immense, that is deep, that is rich. And one of the ways that we love each other and support each other is by praying for one another very specifically while we are on the battlefield. In fact, I would be so bold as to say this, that you cannot truly love another brother or sister in Christ if you do not pray for them. This past week, I've received emails and text messages and meals from many of you, and we are immensely grateful for that. But the greatest blessing is when somebody sends me a message or tells me, we're praying for you. 
That is the greatest way you can demonstrate love to me. It is the highest way that we can demonstrate our love for one another is by praying for each other as we are all on the same battlefield. Charles Hodge says, No soldier entering battle prays for himself alone, but for all his fellow soldiers also. They form one army, and the success of one is the success of all. So we pray for ourselves. Yes, Paul tells us that in other passages. But we must not just pray for ourselves. We pray for our fellow soldiers. And this really goes against, it strikes a blow at the common thought by Christians today that we live our Christian life in isolation from other believers. That is such a deadly view, a deadly understanding of the nature of the Christian life. The way the Bible presents the Christian life is that we do not live in isolation from everyone else, but rather we live as being part of a body, the body of Christ, the church. So, beloved, it is imperative to develop a corporate sense of identity, that you not only belong to Christ, but you belong to his church, you belong to his body, and that you have a duty, you have an obligation to all of those who also belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is especially true when it comes to prayer, that we are to pray for all the saints. Now, even with all of that said, when we read that statement for all the saints, it's still very difficult to understand how we could do this. So exactly how are we to do this in practice? Well, let's start here. When Paul talks about for all the saints, he, I believe, has at least this in view, all kinds of saints. Pray for not only the rich saints, but the poor saints. Pray not only for the male saints, but the female saints. Not only for the old saints, but the young saints. For all the saints. Don't just pray for a segment of the body of Christ. Pray for all of the segments of the body of Christ. And so we can do this by beginning to pray for all of the saints in this church. That's a pretty easy step when you think about the whole world. And so let me ask you, as we are a part of this body of Christ here do you pray for all of the saints of this church do you pray for every Christian man and every Christian woman of this church do you pray for the children of these men and women and their grandchildren their families pray for all the saints starting here And then pray for other saints in this city, in other churches. Because certainly not all the saints that are in existence are in this church. There are many other saints in many other churches around this area. And so then we would again begin to include praying for other saints that we know in other churches in this region. And then pray for other Christians around the country, other ministries around the country, Pray for Christians in other parts of the world, like the church in Indonesia, of which we are involved, and we have a mission trip planned for the fall. Pray for the saints there. Pray for the saints in Ethiopia. 
And this is still just a small part of what it means to pray for all the saints. And so, beloved, this stewardship, this responsibility that the Lord has entrusted to us in the form of prayer is an immense responsibility. And we are called to be faithful in this. And so how are you to stand firm in spiritual warfare? Well, according to verse 18, by praying to God with all kinds of prayer at all times in the power of the Spirit, with an attitude of alertness and perseverance for all the saints. This is the apostolic instruction on how we are to pray. And beloved, there is enough here in just this one verse to occupy us for the rest of our lives. And so let me conclude by asking you a couple of questions. And I don't only ask you, I ask myself. How is your prayer life? Now listen, I'm full of mercy when I ask that question because when I ask myself, there is tons of conviction. Just mentioning the term prayer brings conviction to the heart of every Christian because none of us prays as we ought. But with that said, we must evaluate our prayer lives. We must scrutinize our prayer lives. That is a healthy thing to do. So let me ask you one more question. What changes do you need to make in your life to pray the way that God calls you to pray in Ephesians 6.18? What changes are necessary in your life? How should you use your time differently? How should you be more disciplined with your day, with your life, with your activities, so that you can be faithful in the stewardship of prayer? May God help us to be faithful, to pray as he instructs us in this wonderful text. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the great privilege of prayer. We thank you that we have access, free and open access, into your very presence and the Holy of Holies because of the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you welcome us, that you desire us, that we are never an intrusion, that we are never a bother to you. We thank you that you delight in the prayers of your people. But at the same time, we understand that if we are to pray as we have been called to pray for all the saints, that this is an immense task. And oftentimes we do not view it as seriously as we should. And many other things crowd into our life and take our time away. So, Father, we ask that you would Forgive us for prayerlessness. We thank you that one of the sins that Jesus died for was our prayerlessness. And we pray for the grace, O God, to grow in our prayer lives. That we, by your grace, by the power of your Spirit, would become more faithful with this stewardship that you have entrusted to us, to pray with all kinds of prayer, 
to do it in the power of the Spirit, to do it with an attitude of alertness and perseverance, to do it for all the saints. Father, may you help us. May this local church be known to you as a church that is devoted to prayer, that has a high view of prayer. Father, may you search us, may you know us, may you convict us of areas of sin in this regard. But again, don't leave us there. Give us the grace to be transformed. Father, we thank you for being so patient with us. We thank you for this time, and we pray that your word would do its work in every heart. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.